Hey, it's Dubs here to introduce a really special episode for National Coming Out Day featuring star of RuPaul's Drag Race and HBO's We're Here, Eureka. The second season of We're Here premieres tonight, Monday, October 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern. We hope you enjoy the episode and we hope you enjoy season two of We're Here on HBO. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we are not in our studio using our professional equipment. Um, So our quality might be a little bit uh, different than what you're used to, but we are all just doing the best we can with what we have. And hailing all the way from the mountains of East Tennessee, non-binary television personality David Huggard rocketed to infamy as the vivacious and controversial drag queen Eureka O'Hara and spent three seasons captivating audiences on RuPaul's Drag Race seasons nine and ten and RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star season six. Eureka's career skyrocketed when they joined the cast of RuPaul's Drag Race season nine. With bold looks and a no-nonsense attitude, Eureka O'Hara quickly forged a reputation for their big girl looks and cutting-edge wit. An injury on season nine saw a return of the fat PHAT Phoenix in season 10, where they clawed their way to the top. In 2020, Eureka starred and was a consulting producer on season one of the Emmy-nominated HBO scripted, unscripted series. Unscripted series, I should say. We're here and will be returning to HBO for the season, for the second season on October 11th, now as star and series producer. We Are Here focuses on encouraging people to rediscover the value and worth inside of themselves while proving that drag is here to stay and oftentimes to save the day. Eureka, welcome. Yay, you found it. Hi, baby. How are you, Devs? Oh my gosh, I'm so good. How are you doing? I am jolly like Santa and ain't even Christmas yet, girl. It's Halloween. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that. Would it be weird if I show up to Halloween as Santa? No, I think that's amazing. It's the only outfit. I thought about it. I think drag Santa for Halloween this year. I think that's incredible. And then for Christmas, show up as a pumpkin. Jack Skellington. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we all have multiple coming out stories and multiple coming into ourselves stories. Yes. And so I would love to hear one of those stories that you'd like to share with us. You know, oh my gosh, I, you know, I, (laughs) it's crazy because I just have a roller coaster of identity and sexuality and just, I think most people do, for me, mine has been quite the journey Uh, as far as coming out. I've had several coming out stories. So I grew up Southern Baptist, but first generation, my mother came over here from Germany. Um, So she you know, learned the language, got her citizenship when I was like 13. So I was raised just a little differently than most of the people I was um, raised around. My mother also didn't have like family. So it was very chosen family. I learned what chosen family was at a very young age, even before knowing what queer was. 
Um, so that had a lot to do with like my my coming outs and how I how I perceived um, people and who I was in the life around me, right? So I always knew I was different from a very young age, being flamboyant. I grew up with three women in a household. My mother left my father when me and my twin sister were one. So I grew up with three women. I had two sisters and my mom. And I was always the quote unquote man of the house. Um, little did I know that flamboyancy and that femininity would eventually be me coming out as the gay man of the house, which was um, controversial to say the least with um, a very Southern rooted family, as far as like my dad's side being from East Tennessee. And then my mother coming from a very traditional German family, um, she saw a lot of um, negativity around homosexuality in her home country. One of her best friends was gay, whom got beaten to death when she was 15 years old. Um, you know, she was growing up during the AIDS pandemic, where that was a big thing, where like, if you were gay, you were pretty much um, deemed as someone who would die of AIDS if you were known as homosexual. So she had a lot of fear around when I came out. So that was really hard on my coming out as a gay person when I was a senior in high school. And I, you know, even coming out as like a gay man, I didn't feel comfortable or right. It was so weird. And I just remember I, I went to college as soon as I graduated and then um, to East Tennessee State University, I was 17 years old. I graduated early. I was ready to get out of the house. And I moved in to campus and I met some trans individuals. I actually moved in with a trans woman. So then around 19 years old, I transitioned and then came out as a trans woman, which I lived for four years going to college full time. Um, that dead name was Erica. So that was another coming out. And then the weirdest thing is the gay coming out with my mother and family was the hardest because there was just so much negative connotation around it and so much fear that I wouldn't be successful or that I would die from it, you know? And then when I came out as trans, it was like, they, it kind of made sense to this small minded, you know, um, countryside that was my dad's side of the family. It was like, Oh, you want to be a woman. That's why you like me. So then it made sense. And then even to my mother, it was like, well, that's traditionally makes more sense with her traditional a German heritage, it's like, well, I have known people that wanted to transition and they were given a little bit more, I guess, leniency even in Germany because it was like, there was a very spiritual connection to that. So it was easier for her to accept that. Um, and then honestly, four years later, I got to a dark place where I realized I was living as this character because I was also doing drag where I was Eureka. So I became Eureka, this character 24 seven and lost this Erica identity and realized then that I had to detransition because living as a trans individual wasn't right for me either. So I came out a third time as um, a gender neutral person. And that's all I knew to really say was I was like, I'm just not anything. I'm nothing, you know, and I didn't really have a label for it then. And it took me moving to like Los Angeles and being cultured and after being on drag race and stuff where I really found who I was as a non-binary person so then my third and final, third time's a charm, uh, final coming out story is, you know, I, I found being non-binary as a place for me to find comfort and safety. And it was because I got cultured and came to an area where I felt like I could express myself, but I also learned a lot um, from other queer people, being around other queer people, getting to be myself. If I want to wear earrings or makeup and a skirt or pants or whatever it is I decide to express myself. And I learned here 
that my gender identity, my gender expression, and my sexuality were three separate things. And so that final coming out for me was a revelation of that, of me learning like, oh, wow, I'm, I can identify one way, which is non-binary, and I can express myself any way I want to because I'm an adult and I pay taxes in my own field and <laughs> no one gets to say what I get to wear every day. Mm-hmm. And then my sexuality has literally nothing to do with the gender that I am or the gender I express. That's just an intimate portion of my um, being, right? And that's an expression that I now identify as pansexual. Um, and so I just, it's been quite a journey. So those are, those are my three coming outs, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. I, what you talk about is so resonant for me. And I think for so many people, um, what I, um, I'm just, I'm thinking one of the first things that's coming to me is flashing back to one of the episodes um, and I can't remember specifically which one I, I, episodes of we are here, which is one of the reasons why we're talking here today. Um, well, was, why we're here. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Um, and, and you talk about your mom and her best friend who was killed, um, who was a gay man um, and how that was a way um, for you to have empathy for the, the folks that you were worked like that you were, you know, building relationships with and in these small cities and then having empathy for their family. Um, How, how, I guess my, my question is, how do you keep that, that empathy going? Cause I, I, you know, looking at watching the the first, the first season um, you know, you had the police called on you and you had people ignoring you and, you know, inviting people to shows and, you know, I see you pulling from your own experiences, but how do you keep that empathy going? I feel like it could be really hard. It is hard, you know, but I think it's just, it's, it's a mutual effort. I think it just comes from not only myself, but working with Bob and Shangela, we as a unit really support each other and give each other energy when we need it. Some days it's harder for Bob. Some days it's harder for Shangela and some days it's harder for me. And I think that's what makes now in season two, you're going to see, and a lot of the viewers are going to see when they see the new season, just how much me, Shangela and Bob also have grown um, closer because of that, you know, um, we really support each other. We're the only three people in that position that have to experience um, the energy shifts uh, between people and the responses of the community. And, you know, we really support each other in that. And we just, and that's what I think we do as queer people in general. That's why we seem to click up a lot, I think. And that's why chosen family and these safe spaces are so important to us as queer people and pride and these things that a lot of heteronormative culture want to argue against because they don't understand that that's where we do get the strength to move forward is from each other is from those, um, those complimentary experiences, you know, of knowing that we're not alone in it, uh, knowing that we have other people supporting us while we're pushing through it. Yeah. That's really beautiful. You've, so you've, you've mentioned chosen family a few times. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering if you can share with, with me and with, with our listeners um, what chosen family means to you. Cause I would imagine it could mean different things to different people. Yeah. I love that question. I mean, chosen family is just, it's almost more intimate than the family that you're born into. I know that there's, you know, people say that blood's thicker than water, but you can't survive without water. You know, and blood's already there. Yeah, you can't survive without blood either. 
Um, and they kind of go hand in hand, right? So without water, blood doesn't survive. Without blood, water is, you know, irrelevant for the body. So it's interesting because that's what chosen family is all about is it's really, it just goes in hand in hand with like the family that you're born into. But the difference is, is that you have to cultivate the relationships. You have to show up, you have to put effort in um, to make chosen family actually exist. Uh, with, with given family, you know, it's kind of like this unwritten rule that you're stuck with these people or that you have to love them. And a lot of times it comes with trauma, especially if you're abused by those people, because you feel a sense of guilt or a requirement to continue those relationships and mend those relationships. But what you learn as a queer individual over time is that chosen family allows you to not focus on things that you can't control, on relationships that you can't control. And you get to create and form bonds with people that step into place um, for some of those relationships that you have no control over losing. And, and, and you do lose them. You know, we have chosen family that come in place of moms, uncles, aunts, sisters, et cetera. And those are people that show up for you. It's about showing up. It's about loyalty. Um, and it's a whole new kind of love. It's, it's more than a soulmate. You know, it's like when you choose to be family with someone, you're making a choice to have that connection, which is really more powerful than being forced. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, people forget that their choices are really what create who people are as people. So when you choose a family member, um, it says a lot about who you are. You know what I mean? It says a lot about what you want out of life. And those people um, take a really important role in your life too, because um, they, a lot of times do replace those relationships that maybe you didn't have growing up. You know, when we don't have our moms anymore, my mother passed away and I have a beautiful drag mother who, you know, really lives in that, not in place of my mother, but if I didn't have her, I would live a much more traumatic life experience because I wouldn't have anyone to lean on or trust or feel safe like I did having my mom alive, you know? Mm-hmm. I might have over explained that a little bit. I don't know. I'm feeling <laughs> very like, I'm feeling extremely deeply emotional today. I don't know why. Mm. Well, it might be like retrograde or something. Is there like moons and stars like hitting planets or something today? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you explained it the perfect amount and gave the just the right amount of explanation and, um, I'm thinking back to the, the, I think it was the first episode. I'm so bad with names. I should have taken better notes, but the episode with, with uh, the mother um, who like, did not react. Yes. Who didn't react. Thank you. Who didn't react. Great. Um, when her yeah. daughter came out and then, you know, she's doing all of these things to make amends. Um, and one of the things in that meeting at that table <laughs> were the free mom hugs and yeah. how they have. And um, I, I personally love that. I love the free mom hugs idea. I've heard from other people that they're empty, they're shallow because, you know, those people aren't going to pay my bills and I don't have inherited wealth and I don't, you know, like all of those things. And like, Mm -hmm. that is a thing, but I think there is something really special. Like you're saying, you have your drag mother who shows up for you in a way that is important to you. And I think that's, it's the same thing with the, with the free mom hugs. Well, you know, the truth is, is like not everyone has inherited wealth, even with your real parents. You know what I mean? I come from a very low income family. When my mother passed away, actually, it left a lot of debt on me and my sister. I didn't Mm. inherit anything. Mm. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, except debt <laughs> right, right. and a couple kids that need to be taken care of. Cause my older sister, um, my mom had custody of her children and my older sister's in prison. I have a very, um, very colorful, uh, diverse family, uh, when it comes to my biological family. But, um, yeah, I'm, I think that people just don't understand when they argue the point of things like that. It's just because people are thinking about what they don't have versus what they do. Yeah. I think that's what's special about chosen family is you're just emotionally thinking about what you do have in that moment. You're not thinking about what you don't have. And I think as queer people or as people of difference in general, when you have to live life without so much, you create things for yourself to have something. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what chosen family is all about. It's about having somebody. It's about having something to call your own. So uh, that's what it's about. That's so beautiful. <laughs> that really is. <laughs> I like it when you're having an emotional day because what you're I saying know, is so beautiful. Something else you said reminded me of a conversation that I had with my dad um, uh-huh. of, you know, you said um, um, kind of like it's a given like with family and you know, like you, you have, like, you have to show up for these people and you have to be there. And my dad is kind of in this mindset of like, you have to, you have to respect us because we are your parents. Right. And I have had many conversations with him. It's like, we are adults and respect is earned. And like, just because I was born into this family, doesn't mean you get blanket respect. You have to earn it. Yeah. And it's not like he's done egregious things where he like doesn't have my respect, but it's just having those conversations where it's like, it's not a given. It's not a given that we can respect each other. It's earned. You have to choose. Like, I feel like I wonder, I'm just making this up right now, but like, you can also choose your given family. I don't have to given Right. And like, that also takes There is a choice there for sure. I think there's a choice in whether or not you put up with it. And if you stay around, I think that's why a lot of times we as queer people, we, we don't, we were forced for so long, I think, to live a certain way and to live a lie. Let's be honest. We're forced for so long to live a lie that as soon as we get to be free, we fly away like a bird is freed from their cage, you know? Yes. And it's no disrespect to our family. It's just, we love y'all, but y'all been holding something in us back for so long that it's hard to let it go right now, Mm -hmm. especially at first, no matter how good of parents you have, like, society and the way that we're raised and the way people talk about homosexuality when we're growing up and how bad it is because they're just hoping and praying one of their kids aren't gay you know that fucks us up excuse my language oh you can say whatever you want okay (laughs) it messes us up you know what i mean and it puts us in a headspace where we have to fear who we are and how we exist so of course you know we need to we do need to find people that respect us and that's when we get respect back to them you're you're 100 right so it's like, if you're a good dad, I'm going to automatically have respect for you. Mm-hmm. But for you to be like, oh, well, you have to respect me, but yet you smack me around every day. That's not respect, daddy. That's fear. And I had that kind of father. Mm. You know, I had an abusive father that he forced me to respect him. And now as an adult, he is a much better man, but I still don't have love or respect for him in that way because I was forced to love and respect him for so long in a very physical way that I just can't bring myself to do it naturally now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that I don't see his growth or I see, you know, that he's a changed man, but for me, it's like, 
why don't you take this energy where you're, I know you feel bad about what you did to me. And I see that I appreciate it. And he does. Um, I'll say that. I know that about this man. But what I need him to do now is put that energy into the pieces or family members that need that love. Cause I've already found a way without it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you already, you fucked me up enough where I had to go somewhere else and find it somewhere else. And I did. And now that I did, you want to come back and try to fix things. Sometimes it's too late. Yeah. Um, sorry. That's, I am very deep today. <laughs> <laughs> You're but doing you know great. what I mean? It's like, yeah. Ugh, I hate the whole forced respect thing. Like that's so abusive. It's emotional abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I just don't think that people even really view it that way, but it really is. It really is. I mean, I, I, I understand respecting your parents and because they, tr- they take care of you. And as you're growing up, you know, they put a roof over your head. There is a lot of love in that, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone makes mistakes and there is mutual respect. But when you start paying your own bills and you become an adult, some separation from that is natural. Mm-hmm. No matter if you're straight, gay or anything in between, especially if there's not effort on both sides. You can't just have expectations on people if you're not putting in the work too. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's mutual. Everyone has to do the work. Um, if it's okay, I'd love to talk about kind of your, the, the, the parts of your journey where you, you um, moved in with a trans woman and then you um, lived as a trans woman for four years and then realized actually that wasn't the most affirming way for you to live. So then you changed again. Um, Cause I, I, so um, in my day job, I work with Jewish organizations on LGBTQ inclusion. And so I am teaching about identity all day, every day. And I get all the questions and I talk about how identity is a journey. Um, And I, and I just, it's so important for me, for people to understand that it's fluid and that we can change the words that we use and we can change how we feel based on who we know and where we feel safe and what feels the most affirming in that moment. Um, And so I'm wondering, uh, because there is, I know we we are not going to talk about controversy, but I'm I'm just going to quickly name it and then we can move past it around um, controversies around people detransitioning and how, um, especially with the anti-trans bills, um, people are using the idea of like, we're giving trans healthcare uh, too soon to young people and they're too young to know who they are. Um, but the way I view it, especially for adults, is that we just are learning more about who we are and about like words that are affirming. Right. Um, I do have a question here. <laughs> so no, I'm here for it. Um, so was it, was it, challenging for you to kind of first so so what you said was when you came out as a trans woman um that it actually kind of was almost easier so then when when that was no longer affirming for you what was that like in in sharing with folks um it was hard yeah it was hard because i you know a lot of people found it disrespectful to them and who I was as a trans individual a lot of people looked up to me as a trans individual in east tennessee i was very involved in Tennessee Transgender Political Coalition, the PFLAG organization, Tennessee Equality Project, every nonprofit, because as a trans individual, I felt I was out and loud about it. I was going to school on campus full time as a six foot two, you know, 
beautiful busty transit lady. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was hard to miss, you know, and I was very lucky because um, I was perceived well for the most part. And um, I was lucky because of being tall and having an assertive personality. Um, I deemed a little piece of respect being a person um, not of color, being white. There were so many elements that I was had privilege as a trans individual too that allowed my success. But I saw so much other pain happening. And I, you know... <sighs> I saw so many trans individuals that had went through this transition and regretted it. And, um, and it just reminded me that if my heart wasn't in it full force, then that was a decision I had to make for myself as a trans individual before I made the mistake of, I almost, you know, I was almost one of those people that got my body work done in a hotel. Mm. I was laying there getting ready to literally have my breasts done and my hips done. I was oiled up. The syringes were ready, you know, with, um, non-medical silicone you know one of the girls and I won't mention them they're actually they've passed away now from complications with that type of silicone but I almost became one of those people and something in that moment made me realize no this isn't my path Mm -hmm. and I'm very lucky um because I don't consider what I did Mm detransitioning I consider what I did was retransition I see I don't I don't think it takes away from who I am as a trans woman. I think that's still a huge part of who I am as I have one hand with full acrylic nails on right now, you know, um, as a non-binary individual, I'm still a part of the trans spectrum because of the experiences that I've had. I think people are confusing this whole detransition. Like they think, Oh, well, you're going back to who you were born or Mm -hmm. you never go backwards in life. Let's be honest. You only go forward. You just change things about the decisions you've made so far. So I don't even believe in detransitioning, to be honest. I don't mm-hmm. believe it's a thing. I don't think the term is real. I think that it's something that people use as a tool to argue their point. Mm-hmm. And I think the term should be retransition. And I think that's what we should own mm-hmm. um, as people that are retransitioning into the next version of themselves, not going back. There's no going back. Once you've lived as a trans individual, you can, you can't take that experience back one, because there's trauma in that experience, whether it's good and bad trauma. I believe in good and bad trauma, Um, whether it makes you a stronger person, whether it makes you a weaker person, regardless, there's trauma in those experiences because you are, you're uprooting your entire life and becoming another person that people don't perceive well in most areas. You don't get the respect you deserve. You don't get your respect as just a human being like who I get so frustrated when it comes to this conversation, because who gets the right to tell you like, Oh, well, you're not that. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, I'm not telling you that you're not Christian or that you're not, um, you're not a vegetarian or you're these decisions that you've made for yourself. And they don't even compare to my identity. Like, this is how I identify. And we're arguing the point um, of that when you don't see me sitting here being like, well, you're not an accountant, <laughs> even though you might have a degree and a job doing it. But that's not who you are. You're supposed to be a veterinarian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it makes no sense. That's how I see it. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate you um, adjusting my language. Um, cause I think you oh, might've, I, I think you did say retransition and I just have in my mind detransition just because of all yeah, that people use it. Yeah. But I really do like, like exactly, you know, 
am with you 100% on what you said on on retransitioning. I I use the word for myself um, affirmation or affirming mm-hmm. um, because for me I it it just feels more empowering to be like I am reaffirming who I am. I am affirming who I've always been through yeah. testosterone or through top surgery. Um, but I'm glad that you had that moment. Um, well, I didn't even know you were trans. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, there is so much trauma in affirming who we are and transitioning to who we are um, because of the way society is set up. It's not fair. How hard has it been for you? You mentioned your dad earlier. Was that huge? I mean, I know it's not your interview, but I'm curious. <laughs> That's know, okay. Uh, it's a conversation. Um, I would say, um, so generally speaking, my parents are extremely accepting and loving and so lucky that I had that. Um, the, the challenge comes with them understanding the nuance of what it means to be genderqueer. Like, I think they could much easier wrap their minds around a trans man versus genderqueer. Um, because we're so taught to think in a binary way. And so it's with me, it's, it's them, you know, really um, taking a lot of time, understanding they, them pronouns, and Mm -hmm. understanding, like, don't use the word daughter, don't use the word sister. And like, but, but generally speaking, um, they're, they're supportive. And I feel really lucky about that. Yeah, well, that's a blessing. And you know, you are lucky. I was very lucky, too, for the most part. I mean, you know, my mom was pretty understanding my nieces, you know, my nieces, honestly, when I retransitioned to be non-binary, they thought I was transitioning from a female to a male mm. because that's all they knew was me as a woman, you know, mm-hmm. my youngest nieces, especially like, she was like, why are you, why'd you cut your hair? You were so pretty. You know, she didn't understand that. So it's interesting uh, because there are different perceptions and children are the best um, for me have been, was the best learning point on human knowledge and we only know what we're taught kind of stuff because yep. I learned very quickly with these kids like they didn't know the difference and they didn't care mm-hmm. it wasn't until they got older that their peers started making comments because I had a lot of issues with um, especially being famous in the queer world where my nephew or my niece would get picked at because of me being their gay uncle or their drag queen sibling or whatever um and it wasn't until then that they started being weird or having feelings about it because of their peers or the things the negative that they saw or learned before I was their hero you know yeah that was disheartening to see it's like those are the moments in in life where we go through things where we're like damn like (laughs) you know they the kids didn't know any different but then um society taught them to to not understand and to dislike it and to find negativity in who I was as an individual. And there was a period of time where they stopped looking up to me. They were embarrassed to be on my social media, stuff like that. And that's sad, mm. you know? It is really sad. Um, it is. But then it comes full circle once they start to realize who they are and what they believe in. And luckily they love me enough to learn from me how to perceive the world. And, you know, now I'm the most proud of them because my niece, she's 15. She's probably one of the like leading activists at this little East Tennessee high school where she's like in charge and a part of every organization, like fighting for 
you know, the Black Lives Matter movement when that was happening in East Tennessee, which no one was wanting to do in her little um, high school where there was maybe like four Black kids, but she was leading it. You know, it's like knowing that I have people like that that I'm teaching, right? My nephew dated a trans man um, as, and he identifies as a straight, as a straight heteronormative individual, but he dated a trans man. They started dating when she was female, but then he transitioned and he still dated him, you know, and was like, I don't judge him for who he wants to be. I love him. You know, those were the moments where you're like, oh my God, I'm such a proud, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. non-binary um, upper family member. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's sweet. I was, I was, I have nibblings um, and my sister and I were talking and I was like, transphobia is learned. I was like, kids are so cool with anything, but like they learn the hate they learn, you know, and I I've had, I've expressed to my sister a few times, like that I, I do have fear and I'm scared that my nibblings are like, are also going to get like made fun of, or people are going to say mean things to them because I'm their unky and I'm trans and like, you know, whatever it might be. And I just have to trust that, you know, they're going to be like your activist sister and like, or uh, niece, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, stick up for what's right. Stand up for what's right. So, exactly. um, so, and they will, I hope so. I hope I so. That. I Thank believe you. they will. So let's, I, let's talk about we're here because I, <laughs> I, I mean, I love that show so much. And one of the things that, um, that being on testosterone has done to, has done to me, I guess, as a way to say that is weird. I used to cry at everything. And then since I started testosterone, it is very, very challenging for me to cry. Okay. And watching we're here, I cry multiple times in every episode. Oh, <laughs> and wow. It is such a needed release. And it's just, it's such a powerful, powerful show. So first and foremost, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm dying to know um, a lot of things, but the first thing I'm dying to know is, do you keep in touch with your with your drag children and like in their yeah, communities for sure i mean definitely a little bit i think that like whenever we first rap we kind of stay in contact more and then as time goes on like it's social media and like the here and there facebook messages and you know especially during the pandemic a lot of the last season um children would lean on me a lot and you know yeah i would say that we definitely stay connected especially when it's airing and we're getting to relive those experiences and following up with them and but I also, you know, as a drag parent, you, as a parent in, in general, for me, I just give my kids their space, you know what I mean? Yeah. And let them come to me and they do. And I just watch from afar and, you know, send my love and the likes and the comments. And that's what people need. You know, I think, especially as drag children, they need the support. Yeah. So I've just learned over time. That's what I can give is that support over here. And if you need me, you know where I'm at kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, of course, you know, I love talking to them. I love hearing about how they're doing. Um, there's a, there's a lot of love there and with these people. And we were so lucky to get to go into these towns and also leave an impression on the town. I hear feedback all the time from my daughters and my sons and their friends about how it has truly changed something in the community too. Mm. And that's really cool. But I think it just reminds people like, oh yeah, we have this here and this is something for us to pay attention to. Yeah. I love, I love knowing that, that it's, it wasn't just kind of a, a fleeting moment that there's actual 
change ha- change and a feeling oh, yeah, real change real progression yeah it's crazy i love that i so something that that kept popping up for me um that i'm that i'm working on but while i was watching was um just my like premature judgment on small towns or um i i do this a lot in the again like the work that i do in jewish communities especially when i'm um uh working with like older community members um having these like preconceived notions of like how they're going to react or what they're going to say or think and i'm yeah. i am 100% of the time pleasantly surprised and so i'm wondering i know you're from a small town but i'm wondering if did you did you have now i was and i was pleasantly surprised in every and pointing to my <laughs> tv in every episode watching but did you have those preconceived notions and what surprised you the most in this experience Oh yeah. I mean, you always go into towns, like going to the restaurants and going to these events and stuff. You see the looks, you see the way people are reacting. You kind of, you also judge the books by their cover sometimes by the imagery of what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get pleasantly surprised all the time. You know, there's a moment in um, the Indiana episode where we are going to a fireworks store and it's in the new season. And a guy walks up and he has a gun in, his, in the front of his holster. You know, he's got his gun on display. He's got huge gauges. He looks like, you know, he would be one of the normal, like, you know, boys in that area and walked up and then thanked us for being there. Uh, and I'm was like, cry. yeah, I'm, I'm a, a bisexual person who has kids in this community. You know, I carry my gun on display to show the other man that I'm one of them. But at the same time, I'm one of us. You know, and you being here is so important because we, you know, we as queer people in this area visually try to blend in and you all not blending in is inspirational to us because, you know, we're trying to fall suit so that we're not recognizable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's sometimes I think a really traumatic thing about these towns for the queer people is that they have to hide. Yeah deal in these really traditional areas and I think what we're doing with we're here is we're going in to remind them it's a little it's a little too late to hide you know what I mean we've been doing this for too long to still hide and it's time to come out of the shadows and show people that we're here we're everywhere we're your teachers we're your cousins we're your classmates we're you know we are part of every community and every facet and we're your neighbors you know what I mean so that's what we're doing with it it's amazing. I didn't know where you were going with that story, <laughs> like, but again, pleasantly surprised. Exactly. That's the and, thing. Is yeah. That is the pleasant surprise. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's so important for everybody to just take a beat before we make an assumption about somebody and just remember what it feels like when someone makes an assumption about us, that isn't true. And, yeah. you know, hold that. Um what's like, what's the biggest thing? Actually, let me back up. What's like the biggest difference between being on like RuPaul's Drag Race and that kind of TV role versus like being in this we're here, like very emotional, supportive role? Like what's the biggest difference? Well, I mean, there's differences in general because obviously Drag Race is a competition. Yeah. Um, But really the I mean, it's a little, maybe it's more campy and not as serious in Drag Race, but at the same time, there's not really a lot of difference because we're still using drag to educate. You know, with we're here, it's a little more intimate. We're educating on a person-by-person basis, more intimately telling other people's stories. With Drag Race, we're intimately telling our own. 
and our fellow queens experiences. And um, it's kind of the same thing. I think people forget how much heart, how much, excuse me, how much heart, how much experience comes with drag, um, how much power there is behind it. People, a lot of times in the heteronormative community still see drag as, you know, something camp or not serious or, uh, maybe drug drug or alcohol based like partying ideas or you know they they have negative ideas around drag and the truth is it's like drag was created as a way for us to express ourselves in a world where we were forced to act or be or be treated a certain way and drag gives you the liberation to just say fuck all that and you know be your highest glamorous self in a world where you probably did grow up with no money like myself grew up a single mom um on you know benefits food stamps all that that's the life I lived and now I get to buy you know I can put on a $200 dress and a couple hundred dollar earrings but I look like I'm worth thousands of dollars and it's me living the fantasy you know it's me making myself feel better in a world where I don't get that I never had it my whole life so this is my chance to like play pretend, but it's not pretend anymore because I get to make it a part of who I am. And that's where I find confidence and love in myself. And yeah, I don't know, drag is just super cool and powerful. It's, it's crazy because the world's starting to see it. And I think we're here really gets to show that off. But drag race is a, a huge example just because of the, the power it has brought to this world. And, and the franchise has grown to a place where like these entertainers are, you know, legit, icons in the industry now you know famous mm-hmm. people look up to them and why do why do people look up to drag queens because drag queens are just being who they want to be without any roles without any stipulations and that's what people envy they want to be like them because everyone's hiding from something everyone's pretending everyone's playing a part and when we finally decide to say you know i'm tired of playing pretend mm-hmm. but i don't have to that's when I think people will find real happiness. They'll find real confidence. And that's what they do. You know, the more you start being your authentic self, you start finding real friends, you start finding real family, you know, you start finding your real tribe, you know, and you start finding true happiness. Yes. Yeah. Snaps and claps and hugs to yeah. all of that. Oh my God. <laughs> all day, every day. All day, every day. It's so, it's so hard. hard. Yeah. It's yeah. hard for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the hardest thing to do. The hard, you know, my opinion is the hardest thing in the world to do, and the hardest choice. This is literally the hardest choice in the world is to choose to be happy. It's so easy to be angry. It's so easy to feel guilty and to feel nasty and to wallow in your bed and self pity. That's easy to do. The hardest thing to do is to get up and be happy. Yeah, that's the hardest thing you'll ever do. I believe that. I agree, and I and you know like choosing choosing authenticity is like something that I talk about all the time on this podcast and my social media because it's taken me decades to get to where I am um and you know just and and making the hard choices of starting testosterone having top surgeries you know I'm sober 15 months or 16 months or something like making all of these choices are are the hardest things I've ever done and the best, most rewarding things I've ever done. Well, and the reason they're hard is because you're choosing your happiness over everyone else's. Yeah, exactly. And and you're getting, it's hard to shed the guilt of making a decision for yourself versus what other people think or versus other people's rules. 
there's this guilt that we live with. Guilt is another thing that I hate. It's like, go you. That's all I'm going to say is congrats to you because that's the hardest thing is choosing your happiness and letting go of that guilt of other people. Like the guilt that comes with, you know, you mentioned being sober. It's interesting to me because a lot of my sober friends live with so much guilt and just social interacting. Like mm. they can't let go of this idea um, that they're not having a drink. Like they feel bad. Mm. Still. You know, a lot of my friends, I have a lot of sober friends and um, I won't mention their name because obviously it's anonymous, but mm. um, they do have guilt in social settings. Like, oh, well, I, you know, I wish I could have a drink with you. I just can't. Or, you know, I'm sorry. And they'll apologize. I'm just like, don't apologize. If you're choosing your happiness, what's right for you. That don't mean me having a drink doesn't affect that. Mm. And you not drinking with me doesn't affect that. But congratulations to you for recognizing that you are happier and healthier without a drink. Yeah. You know what I'm saying like, don't feel guilty, bitch. Be proud of yourself. Yeah. I think we're, we're just like, we're all just so socialized and taught to feel guilty, to apologize, to really try okay. to fit into a, one certain way of being. And it really is hard not to, mm-hmm. to feel that way when we, when we do choose our happiness. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of the, I forget who said it, but the quote, uh, it's like, there's no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. And like mm-hmm. the way to do it is to make those choices, no matter how hard they are, Yeah, each, wow. each step of the way. That's a good quote. I don't know who said that either. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it was not me, but we'll figure it out. Right. Google that. Come on, you guys, listen in the comments, Google it, comment it, let us know. <laughs> um, this has been such an incredible conversation and I hate to do this, but I want to move us to our lightning round of questions. Let's do it. Um, so in seasons one and two, the questions were very binary and I got a lot of loving feedback to make the questions less either or. So they are okay. open-ended questions um, and it's just for fun. And uh, there, okay. is one, there is one binary question that I could not get rid of and you'll see. Um, so if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? Um, if I could name a crayon, I would name it uh, non-binary pickled pepper purple. Oh my god! I love, <laughs> I love it. Okay, non-binary pickled pepper purple. Non-binary pickled pepper purple. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to be a little bit of a tongue twister. So it's perfect. Um, favorite time of day? Night, midnight. Mm. 2 a.m., 3 a.m. It's real dark. <laughs> when the world is shut off is my favorite time. I don't know. I just feel so comfortable in that moment when I feel like the world's calm and, and shut down. Yeah. And I just get so creative in those hours. Mm, I love that. Um, favorite current queer media representation? Um, that's, a, that's a big one. Bob the Drag Queen. Beautiful. I'll just say it. Or Ashley Marie Preston. Actually, Mm. is probably one of my all-time fave queer leading representation. She a diamond. Yeah, if you're not following her on social media, what are you doing with your life? Um, (laughs) um, Not educating it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Ashley Marie Preston will keep you educated, kids. Y'all go follow her. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, a song that makes your heart sore. Um, your song by Elton John. Ooh, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Every time. I can't help it. Mm. Favorite way to travel? Um, first class. 
<laughs> okay, that is the first time anyone said I'm that. Big bitch, <laughs> I can't do it, girl. Either first class or buy me two seats, Miss Thing. Oh my gosh, I love that. Um, favorite quote. Um, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. The late and great Chi Chi Divine. Mm, <laughs> <Divine's, nice. laughs> the, late, the late and great Chi Chi <laughs> If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. I love that. Um, okay, bagels or donuts? Donuts. Oh no. Okay. They're, Bavarian like, cream. Mama, don't try it. Boston cream field chocolate syrup. Mm. Okay. Donuts are very good, but I'm partial to bagels, but I, I accept everyone for who they are. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you should give up on the bagels. The donuts are where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have both. <laughs> okay. <deal. laughs> uh, Eureka, this has been so lovely. Thank you so, so much for joining us in this conversation today. Yeah, no, it's been such a treat. I appreciate you and everything that you stand for dubs and uh, what a powerful, um, are you, do you, so you go by they, them, are you non-binary? Do you consider yourself trans male? I'm just curious. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, I use the words gender, queer, transgender, um, I guess masculine of center are my, are my words. Okay. Well, you are a warrior masculine of center, gender, queer, trans, a warrior diva icon. (laughs) I loved getting to talk to you today. Thank you. You too. And thank you for coming out. Honey, all day, every day. Thank you for coming out. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page at Thank You For Coming Out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.